You know, as Christians, we're well aware of the possibilities of faith. And God has given us a great many possible things, hasn't he? Well, over in Mark chapter 9 and verse 23, the Lord Jesus says this, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. These are bold and stupendous words. They opened the treasure house of the eternal king to sinners and offered to the children of clay, the children of Adam and Eve, the privilege of God's own omnipotence and everlasting care and all of the possibilities of his infinite resources. Side by side, these two astounding declarations stand. All things are possible with God. All things are possible to him that believeth. So let us consider the possibilities of faith. Firstly, salvation is possible to him that believeth. No matter how vile the sin, how many or how great the sins, how aggravated the guilt, how deep the corruption, how long the career of impenitence and crime, it is everywhere and forever true that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. John 3 and verse 26. And thus alone can any soul be saved. You see, if you believe, you will obey. And if you obey, you will be baptized for the remission of your sins. And then you will keep on following in the paths of righteousness for your entire life. Because you love your king. You love the one that paid the price that you yourself could never pay. In Mark sixteen sixteen, he said, He that believeth not shall be damned. So if we don't believe, if we do not obey the commands of Christ Jesus, we will be lost. It's as simple as that. This blessed text opens up the gates of paradise and all the possibilities of grace to any and every sinner. And whosoever will may come and take the water of life freely. Revelation 22 and verse 17. And you see, then we're set apart. Through Jesus Christ. Sanctification means to be set apart. And sanctification is possible to him that believes and obeys. Inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith. That is in me. Acts 20 and verse 32. And this is still the inscription over the gates of our full inheritance. Purifying our hearts by faith. Acts 15 and verse 9. It is still the divine process of full salvation. It has not changed. You're not going to go to the Bible and see that this year your terms of insurance from going to hell have changed. It is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago and it will never change. God hasn't changed his mind. There is no better covenant. There's no better man to lead you to heaven than our Lord Jesus Christ. And he did all that he did out of love for each and every one of us. Isn't that amazing? God came to earth in the flesh, knowing full well the price of saving each and every one of our souls. He knew the end from the beginning. He knew that we would come along. He knew that we would mess up. And he provided a way for us to be with him forever. It broke his heart to think that we would be lost to him. But love that is forced is not love. It has no value. And there is no greater coin in the universe than the blood of redemption 
that Jesus spilled for each and every one of us. And through his blood alone can the soul be sanctified. It is not a work, but a gift of grace. And all grace must be by faith. It is not possible by painful struggling. It is not possible by penance and self-torture. And believe you me, there are people that do that. They think they can get closer to God by hitting themselves with whips. By turning a tourniquet on their leg full of barbed wire to dig into their bodies. It is terribly sad. They believe that this is helping them being forgiven of their sins when the Bible tells us clearly that Christ did it all. It is not possible by sickness, suffering or even self-crucifixion. The soul that dies unsanctified by the blood of the Lamb shall die unsanctified and be unsanctified forever. Revelation 22 verse 11 contains these holy and sobering words. He that is holy, let him be holy still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. Do not be filthy in your sin. If you have sin upon your soul, get rid of it. Go to the Lord, go to God, get rid of that sin. It is not possible to get into heaven outside of Christ Jesus. There's no wall you can climb over or tunnel you can get under. The only possible entrance is through him. And it is possible to any soul that will believe, no matter how unholy it has been, no matter how perverse it is, as mean perhaps and as crooked as Jacob, as gross as David in his darkest sin, as self-confident as Simon Peter, as willful and self-righteous as Paul was, it may be and shall be made as spotless as the Son of God through his blood, as holy as the holiness of Jesus himself. For through his blood our sin is washed away. That cancer that's fatal to our souls is washed away. If we will only believe and be baptized. And this faith must be the faith of the receiver. For in the epistle it is said, Let not him that wavereth think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. James 1 and verse 7. And still it is true, as when the master touched the eyes of the blind man to whom he said it, According to your faith be it unto you. Matthew nine twenty nine. It matters not how serious the disease. It may be as helpless as the crippled who could not in any wise lift himself up. As chronic as the impotent man who lay for thirty and eight years helpless at the pool. As obscure and as despised a case as the poor blind men who begged by the wayside and whom the multitude thought unworthy of Christ's attention. Christ did not think that, did he? He did not walk past them and ignore them. He turned to them. Or even as sinful as the sinful woman of Syrophoenicia, whom even the Saviour called a dog. And yet to her as to others, the healing came and he could say, Great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Matthew 15 verse 29. It is not the faith which heals. It is the God that the faith touches. 
And there is no other way of touching God except by faith. And therefore, if we would receive his almighty touch, that cure to our souls, that cure of the sin that is dragging us to hell and spiritual death eternal, we must believe and obey and be baptized. To be healed of sin, we must believe and obey him. All power for service is possible to him that believeth. The power of the apostles was in proportion to their faith. Stephen, full of faith and power, Acts 6 and verse 8, could meet all the wisdom of Saul of Tarsus and the synagogue of the Sicilians. The simple story of Barnabas is that he was a good man and full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and much people were added unto the Lord, Acts 11, verse 24. You see, the secret of effective preaching is not logic or rhetoric or elocution, but to be able to say, I believed and therefore have I spoken. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 13. Now the success of some evangelists and Christian workers is out of all proportion to their talent or capacity in any, di- any direction. But they have one gift which they faithfully exercise, and that is expecting God to give them souls, and therefore they are never disappointed. The church is yet to see in the present generation the full possibilities of faith in the work of the Lord. The examples of a keeble or an eskew are but types of what is possible for the humblest worker who, with a single eye to the glory of God and simple fidelity to the gospel of Christ, will dare to expect the mightiest of results. Because the world will put you down. The world will say, shut up, you fool. Shut up, you bigot. Keep your mouth shut. Remember what they told the apostles? The religious leaders of the day, the most self-proclaimed righteous holy ones, told them to shut your mouths. So what did they do? They went straight out and proclaimed the gospel. And we've not stopped doing it since. What most people do not realize is that when we are persecuted, people want to hear what we have to say. The most glorious days of the Church of Christ were the days where they were burning the saints at the stake because the gospel spread like wildfire across the world. If you want people to read a book, you ban it. You cause some controversy. Go ahead and ban the Bible. And I guarantee you, people will want to read it here with the same hunger that they had in the Soviet Union. I knew a man who used to smuggle Bibles into the Soviet Union on microfilm. It's real James Bond kind of stuff. He was a really nice man from Wales, and the Welsh kind of talk like that. And he said, we would smuggle it in under a postage stamp. And when they got it there, they would use it and they'd, they'd make copies of the, of the Bible in Russian. And he said, you know what those Russians did when they got the Bible? They would get their Bible and they would take it and they would kiss it. They would kiss it. They loved it so much. And then they would put it to their forehead and put it to their heart. That's how important it was to them. They were crying. If only, if only people would be as hungry for the word of God here as they are there. So let them ban it. I welcome it. Wherever the word of God is banned, it spreads like wildfire. You're pouring fuel on the fire trying to stop what God desires. Oh, we must go after and teach the word of God 
We must realize the strength of our own weaknesses, but trust in God and follow him. For it is not by might or by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4 and verse 6. It is for the glory of God. The day has come for God to reveal himself to the very weaknesses of his instruments. And to prove once more that he has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And the weak things to confound the things that are mighty. I knew one man, he had a, a, a meeting up in a, in, a, 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 up in a university, and it was a university in South America. And the name of his meeting was Christ in Action, but he just put the, he just put the symbols up, just put the first letters. CIA, Christ in Action. They were told they were having a speaker from the CIA. Well, all the communists showed up. They were as mad as all get out. There's a CIA agent giving a speech down here. Who does he think he is? So they went there and he told them all about Jesus Christ. Far more important. We need to trust in God no matter what the difficulties are. Or the dangers. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down. After they had been compassed seven days, and still the mightiest citadels of the adversary must give way before the steadfast and victorious, victorious march of faith. By faith, Daniel stopped the mouths of lions, and he was delivered. We are expressly told because he believed in his God. It was not his uprightness of life or courageous fidelity that saved, but his confidence in Jehovah God to deliver. Still, the God of faith is as near, as mighty and as true as when he walked with the Hebrew children through the fires in Babylon and guarded the heroic Paul through all the perils of his changeful life. Talk about a man who knew persecution. His own people wanted him dead. He was hunted throughout the empire. Lies were spoken of him. Wherever he went, wherever he was persecuted, he had that captive audience. I've often thought about that Roman soldier who was handcuffed to Paul. He couldn't go anywhere. So he had to hear the gospel many, many times. And you know, he wasn't the only soldier. And we know from history that a great many Roman soldiers became Christians. And they spread the gospel throughout the empire. There's evidence of Christianity being practiced in North Africa, even as far north as Britannia within the first 30 years of Christianity. The very roads that the Romans built to conquer the world were used by our Lord and his servants to conquer it for the kingdom. God knows what he's doing. You see, there is no difficulty too small for faith's exercise. And there is no crisis too terrible for its triumph. So shall we go forth with a shield and buckler and prove all the possibilities of faith? then indeed we shall carry a wonderful lie for the Lord, even though the very hosts of hell will be against us and struggle against us in getting the work of God done. All of the victories of prayer are possible to him that believeth. Matthew twenty-one twenty-two says, Whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing that, believing shall ye receive. Now that does not mean, as some have thought, if I ask God for me to win the national lottery, I'm going to win the lottery. Or I'm going to get a Lamborghini. 
Or I'm going to make this person or that person fall in love with me. Brethren, our prayers must be in accordance with the will of God. Because if it's not in accordance with the will of God, I can tell you this, it's sin. Be aware, our prayers are powerful, but not as powerful as the one who listens. And it is not the strength or the length of the prayer that prevails, but the simplicity of its confidence and its rightness in the eyes of God. It is the prayer of trust in God that claims the power of the unchanging Savior. It is the prayer of faith that reaches the soul that no human hand perhaps can even approach and sometimes brings from heaven the answer before the echo of the petition has even died away. Do not give up praying for your loved ones. Do not give up praying for those whom you think are unreachable because you never know when that barrier will fall down and their hearts will be softened and their minds will understand the love of God without the need of a man-made doctrine that separates you from that. A friend of mine used to work in the Hibernian Bible Society in Dublin in Ireland. And they would make and produce Bibles and they'd send them all over the world. If you bought a Bible, you could buy it straight from them. They would send out crates and crates of Bibles. And one day a lady came in and she said, I want to buy a whole, more, a whole bunch of these Bibles. She said, I was raised Roman Catholic. And we were told not to read the Bible. But I wanted to read it. So I snuck away and I read it. I bought a copy and I read it. And you know what I found out? What they were telling me up there in the, in, the, in the chapel was not what was being told here in the Bible. It wasn't the same thing. We're not supposed to be praying to the Virgin Mary and to saints. There's only one head of the church according to the Bible. And that's Jesus Christ, not the Pope. And I'm supposed to be studying the Bible myself. And she said, I want to buy a load of them. I want to give them to all my friends and my family. You must understand that not all that long ago, the Roman Catholic Church in Ireland would tell them that if you step foot inside one of those horrible places that sells Bibles, oh, you're going straight to hell. Don't you dare go in there and open up that Bible. You have no right. Who told you to read the Bible? Now, my father was a Roman Catholic. My mother was a Protestant. And at that time in Ireland, when a Protestant married a Catholic, they had to sign away the conscience of their child. It was the law of the land that if you married a Roman Catholic, your child had to be raised in the Roman Catholic Church. And you had to sign it away. And my mother said, show me where it says that in the Bible to the priest. And the priest said, who told you you could read the Bible? said, I've been reading it all my life. I didn't see any of that in there. Get out of this church, he said. You heretic. And my mom was very happy. And I'm sure that priest would be spinning in his grave if he knew where I was right now. Good. Because I want to serve Jesus Christ. Not any man-made body or institution. I bend my knee to my Lord God. I do not bend my knee and kiss the ring of a self-important cardinal. Oh no. We follow the passions that God has given us in the Bible, don't we? That is how we know we're doing God's will. And we do that because we trust him. We have faith in him. 
and we can see the evidence of that rightfulness. Because this is how they did it then. And this is how we are commanded to do it today. To trust in God, obey his word, never give in to the world. God has given us passions of what God has always been ready to do. And it is hindered only by his people's unbelief. My friends, these possibilities are open to each of us. We may not be called to public service or qualified for instructive speech or endowed with, the, with wealth and influence, but to each of us is given the power to touch the hand of omnipotence and minister at the golden altar of prevailing prayer. One censor only must we bring, and that is the golden bowl of faith. And as we fill it with the burning coals of the Holy Bible's fire and what we learn from God's word of what to pray for and how to pray, we can see the incense of the great high priest understanding that he is there interceding for us. All peace and joy are possible to him that believes and obeys. The apostles' prayer for the Romans is that the God of hope shall fill them with all joy and peace in believing. It is God's will and purpose that the unbelieving soul shall be an unhappy soul, and that he shall be kept in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon the God of heaven and trusting in him. So would you know the peace that passeth all understanding? To be careful for nothing, and steadfastly believe that the Lord is at hand, He's supreme above every circumstance. And he causes all things to work together for good to them that love him. Would you be happy in the darkest hour? Then trust in the Lord and stay yourself upon your God. Stand upon his word. Would you have the overflowings of joy? Then learn to say, Though now we see him not, yet believing we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. First Peter 1 and verse 8. You see, the joy of mere emotion is like the cut flower of a brief winter's day, separated from the, the root and withering before another sun goes down. But the joy of faith in Almighty God is the fruit and perpetual bloom that covers the living tree or springs from the rooted plant in the watered garden. The evangelization of the world is to be given to faith. The most successful missionary operations of today are sustained wholly through faith in God and the power of prayer. If America or China or Europe is to be evangelized in the present century, it would be due to the faith of the humble Christian who has dared to attempt great things for God and to expect great things from him. There is no field for faith so vast and sublime as the mission field of today, and there's no limit to the possibilities which faith may claim. We're in a world that is desperate for the truth, searching for the truth, so obsessed with the truth, a great many have made up their own truths. There's even a philosopher who got up and said, you know what we need in the world today? A noble lie a noble lie that everyone can believe in 
Can you think of anything that is closest to the spirit of Antichrist in the world? A noble lie. We must rise to the magnitude of the great opportunity that is before us and become workers together with God for the greatest achievement of all. We know the Lord's coming will doubtless be given at last to faith. There will be a generation who shall say, Lo, this is our God, we have waited for him. And yet it is our blessed hope. But it will someday become more. And reading both upon earth and sky the tokens of his coming, his waiting bride shall hear the glad cry, The marriage of the Lamb is come. Revelation 19, verse 7. And it seems like in every generation we have someone that comes along to make us think that this is it, that it's up. Yes, we should look forward to the coming of our Lord. But as he tarries, more souls are born. And there's greater opportunity for them to be added to the family of God. We cannot know when he is coming. No man knows, only God, the Father. But we must live as if he's coming this evening. Because he might. The master expects us to prepare for his coming. To be ready for his coming. Not to be found sleeping. And if we're ready for his coming. Then we shall be permitted to share its glorious recompense of faith. And even hasten that joyful day. But beyond all that has been said, this promise means that all things are possible to him that believeth. It is possible to have any or even many of the achievements specified and yet still miss all the things of God's highest will. And when the king of Israel stood by the bedside of the dying prophet of the Lord, Elisha, Elisha put his hand upon the hands of Joash and helped him shoot the arrows which were symbolic of faith and victory. But then the prophet required that the king should follow up this act of mutual faith by a more individual expression of the measure of his own expectation. We must believe in God. But alas, like most of us, the king's faith evaporated long before its needed work was done. He smote thrice upon the ground and then he stayed. Too late for him to recover his lost blessing. He should have kept on banging and banging and banging. But oh, what little faith he had. We count our lives too dear at times. Paul said, I count not my life dear unto myself, that I may finish my course with joy. Acts 20 and verse 24. He was on a mission from God. And he knew until God's time for him was up, he was immortal. Nothing could stop him. He would stand before whoever he needed to stand before. He would proclaim the gospel to whomever he needed to proclaim it. And he would not stop under any circumstances. My friends, are you missing anything out of your life? Your one precious narrow span of earthly opportunity the pivot on which eternity revolves. The one eternal possibility that will never return again. That could be this very evening. 
You see, God is waiting to give you all. To give you it all. And all things are possible to him that believes and obeys. That is a reasonableness of faith. Why should God make all things dependent upon our faith, our trust in him? Because the the ruin of the race began with the loss of faith. The ruin of humanity. And its recovery must come through the exercise of faith, of trust in God. The poison that Satan injected into the blood of Eve, so to speak, was a question of God's faithfulness. And the one prescription that the gospel gives to unsaved sinners is, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16, verse 31. Faith is the law of Christianity, the vital principle of the gospel dispensation. Think of it. If you do not have faith in Jesus, if you do not believe and act upon that belief and be baptized, are you not committing the exact same sin of disbelief and distrust in God that Eve did when she believed Lucifer, when she believed Satan, that God was hiding something from her? preeminent reason why God requires faith is because faith is the only way through which God himself can have absolute room to work. For faith is just that colourless and simple attitude by which man ceases from his own works and enters into the work of God. It is the difference between the human and the divine, the natural and the supernatural. The reason, therefore, why faith is so mighty and indeed omnipotent is that it just makes way for the omnipotence of God, to trust in God. Like that old Hebrew calling to God, Hanani, Hanani, here I am, here I am, I'm ready, my Lord. Do we have a willing heart? Are we available to God? Do we have a thankfulness for all that he has done for us? These things are necessary for our growth as Christians and to preach God's word to this world. So therefore, these two sentences are exactly parallel. All things are possible with God. All things are possible to him that believeth. And then we go to the possibility of faith. If thou canst believe, Mark 9, 23, if you can, if you can believe, or if only you can believe and obey and trust Of course, we need scarcely say that faith is dependent upon obedience and rightness of heart and life. We cannot trust God in the face of willful sin. And even an unsanctified state is fatal in any high degree of faith. For the carnal heart is not the soil in which the true faith of God can grow. It must not be hindered by the weeds of sin and willful indulgence of sin. Too many people think that it's not what he wants, but what I want. The reason that a great many Christians have so little faith is because they're living in the world and in themselves and separated in so large a part of their life from God and from his holiness. And when the Lick Observatory was built in the Pacific coast, it was necessary to go above the valleys and the lowlands of the coast where the fogs and mists hang heavily over the land. And they had to select a site on top of Mount Hamilton, above the fogs and vapours of the ground, 
and in clear, unobstructed view of the heavens. And so faith requires this for its heavenly vision. The highlands of holiness and separation and the clear, pure sky of a consecrated life. My friends, you may find in this the explanation of many of your doubts and fears. That your plane is too low, your heart is too mixed and your life is too near this present evil world. Galatians 1 and verse 4. All the things of this world that upset us will one day be gone. They'll soon be gone. Focus on the things that are eternal. And it puts them all in context. Faith is hindered by the weak and unscriptural way in which so many people excuse their unbelief and lightly think and speak of the sin of doubting God. If we would have strong faith, we must recognize it as an imperative and a sacred obligation and steadfastly and firmly believe that God is who he says he is, that he is capable to do what he has promised and refuse ever to doubt him because that's what the devil has been doing since the book of Genesis, whispering doubt in your ear. Let us not say that we cannot believe. Take heed, lest there be any, lest there be in any of us an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Hebrews 3 and verse 12. The Hebrews writer describes an act of unbelief as evil, sinful, trust in God. Remember I was talking earlier on in this lesson about those people who were whipping themselves? They had unbelief in God. They didn't believe that the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross was enough for their sins. So they decided they were going to help him by stabbing themselves. That is evil. That is sinful. That is doubting God's ability to fully cover our sin. And that's just one example of a great many that are in the world. Faith is hindered by reliance upon human wisdom, whether our own or the wisdom of others. The devil's first bait to Eve was an offer of wisdom. And for this she sold her faith, her trust in God. Ye shall be as gods, he said, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3 and verse 5. And from the hour she began to know, she ceased to trust. What a terrible, terrible thing to happen. And so in the days of Christ, his mission upon her, it was the bondage of the Jews, the Lord's own people, to the traditions of their fathers and the opinions of men rather than the word of God that kept them back from receiving him. How can ye believe, he asked, which receiveth honor from men and seek not that which cometh from God only? John 5 verse 44. This today has much to do with the limitation of the church's faith. The Bible is measured by human criticism and the promises of God are weighed in the balance of natural probability and human reason. Our own wisdom is just as dangerous if it takes the place of God's simple word. And therefore, if we would trust the Lord with all our heart, Proverbs 3, 5, we must lean not on our own understanding. Self-sufficiency and dependence on our strength is also a hindrance to our faith. Truly, this is the soil, the soil of faith. 
wisely said Habakkuk centuries ago as he contrasted pride and confidence. His soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. That's not teaching faith only. We live by faith, trusting God. If you trust in God, you do what he tells us to do, correct? Not just some of it, not be selective. Beloved, has God brought you to the end of your strength? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for it is the beginning of his power in you. If faith will but fall into his mighty arms, and you cry like those of old, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help by many or by or with those who have no power. Help us, Lord. For in thy name we go against this great multitude. Second Chronicles 14 and verse 11. You see, faith is hindered by sight and sense, but our foolish dependence upon external evidences should not be relied upon. The evidences of things not seen. The things which God helps us with. And may God help us to walk by faith and not by our own sight. Therefore God has to train us in the way of faith by difficulties, by trials and seeming refusals. Until like the Syrio-Phoenician woman, we simply trust on and refuse to be refused. We trust on him. He is always waiting to recompense our trust by the glad words. Great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Matthew 15, 28. And finally, this faith is hindered most of all by what we call our faith. And our fruitless struggles to work out a faith, which after all is but a make-believe and a desperate trying to trust God, which must ever come short of this vast and glorious promises. The truth is that the only faith that is equal to the stupendous promises of God and the measureless needs of our life is the faith of God himself. The very trust which he will breathe into the heart which intelligently expects him as its power to believe, as well as its power to love, obey or perform any other exercise of the new life. We turn to him in all things. Have the faith of God as his great command. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not by my own faith, but by the faith of the Son of God. Galatians 2.20 It is the victorious testimony of one who had proved it true. My friends, in the light of this great provision, listen to the mighty promise now. And in his faith rise to claim, if thou canst believe all things are possible to him that believeth, and cry, Lord, I believe, nay, not I, but thou, help thou my unbelief. Mark 9 and verse 24. Outside of God there is no hope. We must trust in him. To trust in him means to believe and to obey all, all that he has required of us. And there we can find rest. There we can find peace, knowing that we're right with God on his terms, according to his word, not according to the opinions of men, but according to the will of God as revealed in the Holy Bible. The Bible tells us of the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms 
has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Alleluia. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Revelation, 15, Revelation 11 and verse 15. So shall we take this engine of omnipotence, the prayer of faith, and turn it toward the heavens, and turn it upon the earth, and turn it against every foe until we shall find it wholly true that all things are possible to him that believeth. Mark 9, verse 23. Will you trust in him this evening? The Lord Jesus told us, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. I trust what Jesus says. We can only enter into the kingdom by faith in him, by trust in him, by obedience. It is not an act of man, it is the gift of God. And these are acts of obedience, not works. If you're not a Christian tonight, please, I beg you, become one. With all my heart and soul, I beg you. And if you are a Christian this evening, and you need our prayers, you need our help for anything, we are here for you as we stand and sing the song of invitation. Thank you. You know, as Christians, we're well aware of the possibilities of faith. And God has given us a great many possible things, hasn't he? Well, over in Mark chapter 9 and verse 23, the Lord Jesus says this, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Now, these are bold and stupendous words. They opened the treasure house of the eternal king to sinners and offered to the children of clay, the children of Adam and Eve, the privilege of God's own omnipotence and everlasting care and all of the possibilities of his infinite resources. Side by side, these two astounding declarations stand. All things are possible with God. All things are possible to him that believeth. So let us consider the possibilities of faith. Firstly, salvation is possible to him that believeth. No matter how vile the sin, how many or how great the sins, how aggravated the guilt, how deep the corruption, how long the career of impenitence and crime, it is everywhere and forever true that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. John 3 and verse 26. And thus alone can any soul be saved. You see, if you believe, you will obey. And if you obey, you will be baptized for the remission of your sins. And then you will keep on following in the paths of righteousness for your entire life. Because you love your king. You love the one that paid the price that you yourself could never pay. In Mark 16, 16, he said, He that believeth not shall be damned. So if we don't believe, if we do not obey the commands of Christ Jesus, we will be lost. It's as simple as that. This blessed text opens up the gates of paradise and all the possibilities of grace to any and every sinner. And whosoever will may come and take the water of life freely. Revelation 22 and verse 17. And you see, then we're set apart through Jesus Christ. Sanctification means to be set apart. And sanctification is possible to him that believes and obeys. 
inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. Acts 20 and verse 32. And this is still the inscription over the gates of our full inheritance, purifying our hearts by faith. Acts 15 and verse 9. It is still the divine process of full salvation. It has not changed. You're not going to go to the Bible and see that this year your terms of insurance from going to hell have changed. It is the same today as it was 2,000 years ago, and it will never change. God hasn't changed his mind. There is no better covenant. There's no better man to lead you to heaven than our Lord Jesus Christ. And he did all that he did out of love for each and every one of us. Isn't that amazing? God came to earth in the flesh, knowing full well the price of saving each and every one of our souls. He knew the end from the beginning. He knew that we would come along. He knew that we would mess up. And he provided a way for us to be with him forever. It broke his heart to think that we would be lost to him. But love that is forced is not love. It has no value. And there was no greater coin in the universe than the blood of redemption that Jesus spilled for each and every one of us. And through his blood alone can the soul be sanctified. It is not a work, but a gift of grace. And all grace must be by faith. It is not possible by painful struggling. It is not possible by penance and self-torture. And believe you me, there are people that do that. They think they can get closer to God by hitting themselves with whips. By turning a tourniquet on their leg full of barbed wire to dig into their bodies. It is terribly sad. They believe that this is helping them being forgiven of their sins when the Bible tells us clearly that Christ did it all. It is not possible by sickness, suffering or even self-crucifixion. The soul that dies unsanctified by the blood of the Lamb shall die unsanctified and be unsanctified forever. Revelation 22 verse 11 contains these holy and sobering words. He that is holy, let him be holy still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. Do not be filthy in your sin. If you have sin upon your soul, get rid of it. Go to the Lord, go to God, get rid of that sin. It is not possible to get into heaven outside of Christ Jesus. There's no wall you can climb over or tunnel you can get under. The only possible entrance is through him. And it is possible to any soul that will believe, no matter how unholy it has been, no matter how perverse it is, as mean perhaps and as crooked as Jacob, as gross as David in his darkest sin, as self-confident as Simon Peter, as willful and self-righteous as Paul was, it may be and shall be made as spotless as the Son of God through his blood, as holy as the holiness of Jesus himself. For through his blood, our sin is washed away. That cancer that's fatal to our souls is washed away. If we will only believe 
and be baptized. And this faith must be the faith of the receiver. For in the epistle it is said, Let not him that wavereth think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. James 1 and verse 7. And still it is true, as when the master touched the eyes of the blind man to whom he said it, according to your faith be it unto you. Matthew nine twenty nine. It matters not how serious the disease. It may be as helpless as the crippled who could not in any wise lift himself up. As chronic as the impotent man who lay for thirty and eight years, helpless at the pool. As obscure and as despised a case as the poor blind men who begged by the wayside and whom the multitude thought unworthy of Christ's attention. Christ did not think that, did he? He did not walk past them and ignore them. He turned to them. Or even as sinful as the sinful woman of Syrophoenicia, whom even the Saviour called a dog. And yet to her as to others, the healing came and he could say, Great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Matthew 15, verse 29. It is not the faith which heals. It is the God that the faith touches. And there is no other way of touching God except by faith. And therefore, if we would receive his almighty touch, that cure to our souls, that cure of the sin that is dragging us to hell and spiritual death eternal, we must believe and obey and be baptized. To be healed of sin, we must believe and obey him. All power for service is possible to him that believeth. The power of the apostles was in proportion to their faith. Stephen, full of faith and power, Acts 6 and verse 8, could meet all the wisdom of Saul of Tarsus and the synagogue of the Sicilians. The simple story of Barnabas is that he was a good man and full of faith in the Holy Ghost. And much people were added unto the Lord. Acts 11 verse 24. You see the secret of effective preaching is not logic. Or rhetoric or elocution. But to be able to say I believed and therefore have I spoken. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 13. Now the success of some evangelists and Christian workers. Is out of all proportion to their talent or capacity in any, di- any direction. But they have one gift which they faithfully exercise, and that is expecting God to give them souls, and therefore they are never disappointed. The church is yet to see in the present generation the full possibilities of faith in the work of the Lord. The examples of a keeble or an eschew are but types of what is possible for the humblest worker who, with a single eye to the glory of God and simple fidelity to the gospel of Christ, will dare to expect the mightiest of results. Because the world will put you down. The world will say, shut up, you fool. Shut up, you bigot. Keep your mouth shut. Remember what they told the apostles? The religious leaders of the day, the most self-proclaimed righteous holy ones, told them to shut your mouths. So what did they do? They went straight out and proclaimed the gospel. And we've not stopped doing it since. What most people do not realize is that when we are persecuted, people want to hear what we have to say. 
the most glorious days of the Church of Christ were the days where they were burning the saints at the stake because the gospel spread like wildfire across the world. If you want people to read a book, you ban it. You cause some controversy. Go ahead and ban the Bible. And I guarantee you, people will want to read it here with the same hunger that they had in the Soviet Union. I knew a man who used to smuggle Bibles into the Soviet Union on microfilm. It's real James Bond kind of stuff. He was a really nice man from Wales, and the Welsh kind of talk like that. And he said, we would smuggle it in under a postage stamp. And when they got it there, they would use it and they'd, they'd make copies of the, of the Bible in Russian. And he said, you know what those Russians did when they got the Bible? They would get their Bible and they would take it and they would kiss it. They would kiss it. They loved it so much. And then they would put it to their forehead and put it to their heart. That's how important it was to them. They were crying. If only, if only people would be as hungry for the word of God here as they are there. So let them ban it. I welcome it. Wherever the word of God is banned, it spreads like wildfire. You're pouring fuel on the fire trying to stop what God desires. Oh, we must go after and teach the word of God. We must realize the strength of our own weaknesses. But trust in God and follow him. For it is not by might or by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4 and verse 6. It is for the glory of God. The day has come for God to reveal himself to the very weaknesses of his instruments. And to prove once more that he has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And the weak things to confound the things that are mighty. I knew one man, he had a, a, a meeting up in, a, in a, 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 up in a university, and it was a university in South America. And the name of his meeting was Christ in Action, but he just put the, he just put the symbols up, just put the first letters. CIA, Christ in Action. They were told they were having a speaker from the CIA. Well, all the communists showed up. They were as mad as all get out. There's a CIA agent giving a speech down here. Who does he think he is? So they went there and he told them all about Jesus Christ. Far more important. We need to trust in God no matter what the difficulties are or the dangers. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been compassed seven days. And still the mightiest citadels of the adversary must give way before the steadfast and victorious, victorious march of faith. By faith, Daniel stopped the mouths of lions, and he was delivered. We are expressly told because he believed in his God. It was not his uprightness of life or courageous fidelity that saved, but his confidence in Jehovah God to deliver. Still, the God of faith is as near, as mighty and as true as when he walked with the Hebrew children through the fires in Babylon and guarded the heroic Paul through all the perils of his changeful life. Talk about a man who knew persecution. His own people wanted him dead. He was hunted throughout the empire. Lies were spoken of him. Wherever he went, wherever he was persecuted, he had that captive audience. I've often thought about that Roman soldier who was handcuffed to Paul. He couldn't go anywhere. So he had to hear the gospel many, many times. And you know, he wasn't the only soldier. 
And we know from history that a great many Roman soldiers became Christians. And they spread the gospel throughout the empire. There's evidence of Christianity being practiced in North Africa, even as far north as Britannia. Within the first 30 years of Christianity, the very roads that the Romans built to conquer the world were used by our Lord and his servants to conquer it for the kingdom. God knows what he's doing. You see, there is no difficulty too small for faith's exercise. And there is no crisis too terrible for its triumph. So shall we go forth with a shield and buckler and prove all the possibilities of faith? Then indeed, we shall carry a wonderful lie for the Lord. Even though the very hosts of hell will be against us and struggle against us in getting the work of God done. All of the victories of prayer are possible to him that believeth. Matthew twenty-one twenty-two says, Whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing that, believing shall ye receive. Now that does not mean, as some have thought, if I ask God for me to win the national lottery, I'm going to win the lottery. Or I'm going to get a Lamborghini. Or I'm going to make this person or that person fall in love with me. Brethren, our prayers must be in accordance with the will of God. Because if it's not in accordance with the will of God, I can tell you this, it's sin. Be aware, our prayers are powerful, but not as powerful as the one who listens. And it is not the strength or the length of the prayer that prevails, but the simplicity of its confidence and its rightness in the eyes of God. It is the prayer of trust in God that claims the power of the unchanging Savior. It is the prayer of faith that reaches the soul that no human hand perhaps can even approach and sometimes brings from heaven the answer before the echo of the petition has even died away. Do not give up praying for your loved ones. Do not give up praying for those whom you think are unreachable because you never know when that barrier will fall down and their hearts will be softened and their minds will understand the love of God without the need of a man-made doctrine that separates you from that. A friend of mine used to work in the Hibernian Bible Society in Dublin in Ireland. And they would make and produce Bibles and they'd send them all over the world. If you bought a Bible, you could buy it straight from them. They would send out crates and crates of Bibles. And one day a lady came in and she said, I want to buy a whole, more, a whole bunch of these Bibles. She said, I was raised Roman Catholic. And we were told not to read the Bible. But I, I wanted to read it. So I snuck away and I read it. I bought a copy and I read it. And you know what I found out? What they were telling me up there in the, in, the, in the chapel was not what was being told here in the Bible. It wasn't the same thing. We're not supposed to be praying to the Virgin Mary and to saints. There's only one head of the church according to the Bible and that's Jesus Christ, not the Pope. And I'm supposed to be studying the Bible myself. And she said, I want to buy a load of them. I want to give them to all my friends and my family. You must understand that not all that long ago, the Roman Catholic Church in Ireland would tell them that if you step foot inside one of those horrible places that sells Bibles, oh, you're going straight to hell. 
Don't you dare go in there and open up that Bible. You have no right. Who told you to read the Bible? Now my father was a Roman Catholic. My mother was a Protestant. And at that time in Ireland, when a Protestant married a Catholic, they had to sign away the conscience of their child. It was the law of the land that if you married a Roman Catholic, your child had to be raised in the Roman Catholic Church. And you had to sign it away. And my mother said, show me where it says that in the Bible to the priest. The priest said, who told you you could read the Bible? He said, I've been reading it all my life. I didn't see any of that in there. Get out of this church, he said. You heretic. Well, my mom was very happy. And I'm sure that priest would be spinning in his grave if he knew where I was right now. Good. Because I want to serve Jesus Christ. Not any man-made body or institution. I bend my knee to my Lord God. I do not bend my knee and kiss the ring of a self-important cardinal. Oh, no. We follow the passions that God has given us in the Bible, don't we? That is how we know we're doing God's will. And we do that because we trust him. We have faith in him. And we can see the evidence of that rightfulness. Because this is how they did it then. And this is how we are commanded to do it today. To trust in God. Obey his word. Never give in to the world. God has given us passions of what God has always been ready to do. And it is hindered only by his people's unbelief. My friends, these possibilities are open to each of us. We may not be called to public service, or qualified for instructive speech, or endowed with, the, with wealth and influence, but to each of us is given the power to touch the hand of omnipotence and minister at the golden altar of prevailing prayer. One censor only must we bring, and that is the golden bowl of faith. And as we fill it with the burning coals of the Holy Bible's fire, and what we learn from God's word of what to pray for and how to pray, we can see the incense of the great high priest understanding that he is there interceding for us. All peace and joy are possible to him that believes and obeys. The Apostles' Prayer for the Romans is that the God of hope shall fill them with all joy and peace in believing. It is God's will and purpose that the unbelieving soul shall be an unhappy soul, and that he shall be kept in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon the God of heaven and trusting in him. So would you know the peace that passeth all understanding? To be careful for nothing. And steadfastly believe that the Lord is at hand. He's supreme above every circumstance. And he causes all things to work together for good to them that love him. Would you be happy in the darkest hour? Then trust in the Lord and stay yourself upon your God. Stand upon his word. Would you have the overflowings of joy? Then learn to say... Though now we see him not, yet believing we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter 1 and verse 8. You see, the joy of mere emotion 
is like the cut flower of a brief winter's day, separated from the, the root and withering before another sun goes down. But the joy of faith in Almighty God is the fruit and perpetual bloom that covers the living tree or springs from the rooted plant in the watered garden. The evangelization of the world is to be given to faith. The most successful missionary operations of today are sustained wholly through faith in God and the power of prayer. If America or China or Europe is to be evangelized in the present century, it will be due to the faith of the humble Christian who has dared to attempt great things for God and to expect great things from him. There is no field for faith so vast and sublime as the mission field of today, and there's no limit to the possibilities which faith may claim. We're in a world that is desperate for the truth, searching for the truth, so obsessed with the truth, a great many have made up their own truths. There's even a philosopher who got up and said, you know what we need in the world today? A noble lie a noble lie that everyone can believe in can you think of anything that is closest to the spirit of antichrist in the world a noble lie we must rise to the magnitude of the great opportunity that is before us and become workers together with god for the greatest achievement of all we know the lord's coming will doubtless be given at last to faith. There will be a generation who shall say, Lo, this is our God, we have waited for him. And yet it is our blessed hope. But it will someday become more. And reading both upon earth and sky the tokens of his coming, his waiting bride shall hear the glad cry, The marriage of the Lamb is come. Revelation 19, verse 7. And it seems like in every generation we have someone that comes along to make us think that this is it, that it's up. Yes, we should look forward to the coming of our Lord. But as he tarries, more souls are born. And there's greater opportunity for them to be added to the family of God. We cannot know when he is coming. No man knows, only God, the Father. But we must live as if he's coming this evening, because he might. The master expects us to prepare for his coming, to be ready for his coming, not to be found sleeping. And if we're ready for his coming, then we shall be permitted to share its glorious recompense of faith and even hasten that joyful day. But beyond all that has been said, this promise means that all things are possible to him that believeth. It is possible to have any or even many of the achievements specified and yet still miss all the things of God's highest will. And when the king of Israel stood by the bedside of the dying prophet of the Lord, Elisha, Elisha put his hand upon the hands of Joash and helped him shoot the arrows which were symbolic of faith and victory. But then the prophet required that the king should follow up this act of mutual faith by a more individual expression of the measure of his own expectation. We must believe in God. 
But alas, like most of us, the king's faith evaporated long before its needed work was done. He smote thrice upon the ground and then he stayed. Too late for him to recover his lost blessing. He should have kept on banging and banging and banging. But oh, what little faith he had. We count our lives too dear at times. Paul said, I count not my life dear unto myself, that I may finish my course with joy. Acts 20 and verse 24. He was on a mission from God. And he knew until God's time for him was up, he was immortal. Nothing could stop him. He would stand before whoever he needed to stand before. He would proclaim the gospel to whomever he needed to proclaim it. And he would not stop under any circumstances. My friends, are you missing anything out of your life? Your one precious narrow span of earthly opportunity. The pivot on which eternity revolves. The one eternal possibility that will never return again. That could be this very evening. You see, God is waiting to give you all. To give you it all. And all things are possible to him that believes and obeys. That is a reasonableness of faith. Why should God make all things dependent upon our faith, our trust in him? Because the the ruin of the race began with the loss of faith. The ruin of humanity. And its recovery must come through the exercise of faith, of trust in God. The poison that Satan injected into the blood of Eve, so to speak was a question of God's faithfulness. And the one prescription that the gospel gives to unsaved sinners is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16 verse 31. Faith is the law of Christianity, the vital principle of the gospel dispensation. Think of it. If you do not have faith in Jesus, if you do not believe and act upon that belief and be baptized, Are you not committing the exact same sin of disbelief and distrust in God that Eve did when she believed Lucifer, when she believed Satan, that God was hiding something from her? The preeminent reason why God requires faith is because faith is the only way through which God himself can have absolute room to work. For faith is just that colourless and simple attitude by which man ceases from his own works and enters into the work of God. It is the difference between the human and the divine, the natural and the supernatural. The reason, therefore, why faith is so mighty and indeed omnipotent is that it just makes way for the omnipotence of God, to trust in God. Like that old Hebrew calling to God, Hanani, Hanani, here I am, here I am, I'm ready, my Lord. Do we have a willing heart? Are we available to God? Do we have a thankfulness for all that he has done for us? These things are necessary for our growth as Christians and to preach God's word to this world. So therefore, these two sentences are exactly parallel. 
All things are possible with God. All things are possible to him that believeth. And then we go to the possibility of faith. If thou canst believe, Mark 9, 23. If you can, if you can believe, if only you can believe and obey and trust. Of course, we need scarcely say that faith is dependent upon obedience and rightness of heart and life. We cannot trust God in the face of willful sin. And even an unsanctified state is fatal in any high degree of faith. For the carnal heart is not the soil in which the true faith of God can grow. It must not be hindered by the weeds of sin and willful indulgence of sin. Too many people think that it's not what he wants, but what I want. The reason that a great many Christians have so little faith is because they're living in the world and in themselves and separated in so large a part of their life from God and from his holiness. And when the Lick Observatory was built in the Pacific coast, it was necessary to go above the valleys and the lowlands of the coast, where the fogs and mists hang heavily over the land. And they had to select a site on top of Mount Hamilton, above the fogs and vapours of the ground, and in clear, unobstructed view of the heavens. And so faith requires this for its heavenly vision the highlands of holiness and separation, and the clear, pure sky of a consecrated life. My friends, you may find in this the explanation of many of your doubts and fears, that your plane is too low, your heart is too mixed, and your life is too near this present evil world. Galatians 1 and verse 4. All the things of this world that upset us will one day be gone, then soon be gone. Focus on the things that are eternal, and it puts them all in context. Faith is hindered by the weak and unscriptural way in which so many people excuse their unbelief and lightly think and speak of the sin of doubting God. If we would have strong faith, we must recognize it as an imperative and a sacred obligation and steadfastly and firmly believe that God is who he says he is, that he is capable to do what he has promised and refuse ever to doubt him because that's what the devil has been doing since the book of Genesis, whispering doubt in your ear. Let us not say that we cannot believe. Take heed, lest there be any, lest there be in any of us an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Hebrews 3 and verse 12. The Hebrews writer describes an act of unbelief as evil, sinful, trust in God. Remember I was talking earlier on in this lesson about those people who were whipping themselves? They had unbelief in God. They didn't believe that the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross was enough for their sins. So they decided they were going to help him by stabbing themselves. That is evil. That is sinful. That is doubting God's ability to fully cover our sin. And that's just one example of a great many that are in the world. Faith is hindered by reliance upon human wisdom, whether our own or the wisdom of others. The devil's first bait to Eve was an offer of wisdom. And for this she sold her faith, her trust in God. Ye shall be as gods, he said, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3 and verse 5. 
and from the hour she began to know, she ceased to trust. What a terrible, terrible thing to happen. And so in the days of Christ, his mission upon earth, it was the bondage of the Jews, the Lord's own people, to the traditions of their fathers and the opinions of men rather than the word of God that kept them back from receiving him. How can ye believe, he asked, which receiveth honor from men and seek not that which cometh from God only? John 5 verse 44. This today has much to do with the limitation of the church's faith. The Bible is measured by human criticism and the promises of God are weighed in the balance of natural probability and human reason. Our own wisdom is just as dangerous if it takes the place of God's simple word. And therefore, if we would trust the Lord with all our heart, Proverbs 3, 5, we must lean not on our own understanding. Self-sufficiency and dependence on our strength is also a hindrance to our faith. Truly, this is the the soil of faith. Wisely said Habakkuk centuries ago, as he contrasted pride and confidence, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2 and verse 4. That's not teaching faith only. We live by faith, trusting God. If you trust in God, you do what he tells us to do, correct? Not just some of it, not be selective. Beloved, has God brought you to the end of your strength. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for it is the beginning of his power in you. If faith will but fall into his mighty arms and you cry like those of old, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help by many or by or with those who have no power. Help us, Lord, for in thy name we go against this great multitude. Second Chronicles <coughs> 14 and verse 11. You see, faith is hindered by sight and sense, but our foolish dependence upon external evidences should not be relied upon. The evidences of things not seen, the things which God helps us with. And may God help us to walk by faith and not by our own sight. Therefore, God has to train us in the way of faith by difficulties, by trials and seeming refusals. Until, like the Syrio-Phoenician woman, we simply trust on and refuse to be refused. We trust on him. He is always waiting to recompense our trust by the glad words. Great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Matthew fifteen twenty-eight. And finally, this faith is hindered most of all by what we call our faith and our fruitless struggles to work out a faith which after all is but a make-believe and a desperate trying to trust God which must ever come short of this vast and glorious promises. The truth is that the only faith that is equal to the stupendous promises of God and the measureless needs of our life is the faith of God himself the very trust which he will breathe into the heart which intelligently expects him 
as its power to believe, as well as its power to love, obey, or perform any other exercise of the new life. We turn to him in all things. Have the faith of God as his great command. I live by the faith of the Son of God, not by my own faith, but by the faith of the Son of God. Galatians 2.20 It is the victorious testimony of one who had proved it true. My friends, in the light of this great provision, listen to the mighty promise now. And in his faith rise to claim, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And cry, Lord, I believe, nay, not I, but thou, help thou my unbelief. Mark 9 and verse 24. Outside of God, there is no hope. We must trust in him. To trust in him means to believe and to obey all, all that he has required of us. And there we can find rest. There we can find peace, knowing that we're right with God on his terms, according to his word, not according to the opinions of men, but according to the will of God as revealed in the Holy Bible. The Bible tells us of the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Alleluia. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Revelation, 15, Revelation 11 and verse 15. So shall we take this engine of omnipotence, the prayer of faith, and turn it toward the heavens, and turn it upon the earth, and turn it against every foe, until we shall find it wholly true, that all things are possible to him that believeth. Mark 9, verse 23. Will you trust in him this evening? The Lord Jesus told us, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. I trust what Jesus says. We can only enter into the kingdom by faith in him, by trust in him, by obedience. It is not an act of man, it is the gift of God. And these are acts of obedience, not works. If you're not a Christian tonight, please, I beg you, become one. With all my heart and soul, I beg you, and if you are a Christian this evening and you need our prayers, you need our help for anything, we are here for you as we stand and sing the song of invitation. Thank you. We've been looking at the characteristics of becoming a successful soul winner for Christ. And you know, there are, there are three musts to being a soul winner for the Lord Jesus. We're going to get to them. <laughs> there are three musts to being a soul winner Winner. First of all, we must have a knowledge that our own sins have been forgiven. Secondly, we must realize that the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us. And thirdly, we must surrender our will to Jesus as our Lord. So one must be thoroughly convinced and fully converted before he can begin teaching others on the way of salvation. If you will turn with me in the Bible to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now that's really exclusive, isn't it? So who does that rule out? Doesn't it rule out everybody else? There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. So the world today would have you believe that everybody will go to heaven. It doesn't matter what path you follow. It doesn't matter what religion you believe in. If you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or or whatever, it doesn't matter, they'll tell you. But that's not what the Bible says. You see, Muhammad didn't die on the cross for your sins. Neither did Buddha nor Krishna. Neither did Moses or, or Peter or Paul. Christ Jesus did. He's our leader and he's the one whom we follow. So let me ask you a question this morning. And the first time it was asked me in in college, in in preaching college, it kind of took us all back. But it it made perfect sense. Did Jesus Christ die for Adolf Hitler? Yes, he did. Was Hitler a horrible man? Yes, he was. Was he a sinner in need of salvation? Oh, yes, definitely. But Jesus died for him as well, even though he would have sent Jesus to the concentration camps to be murdered because he's a Jew. Jesus still died for him. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? He'd been tortured in ways we can't even begin to imagine. We don't even want to begin to imagine how horrible it was. And he went through all of that. And they crucified him. They put him on the cross. He's the rightful king of Israel. And he's dying like a common criminal an example to others in the most shameful way the Romans could conceive of. And they were so cruel, the Romans. They they like to conceive of cruel ways to murder people. And yet when he's on the cross, what is he doing? He's praying for forgiveness for the people that murdered him. Most men up there would be calling down curses on them and their fathers and their children and their children's children. But Jesus was praying for their forgiveness. Yes, Mill. But yes, he died for Saul of Tarsus too. He, he was killing the Jews. I mean, that's, that's almost like Hitler. Yeah. And when he came in, they, they put in their lions, turned them apart, gladiators, cutting them to pieces, and everything like that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you can't get... I mean, that's, that's a little bit like Hitler. Well, he was, he was a terrifying... I mean, he was... Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, was the number one proud enemy of Christianity. You know, he, he was, it, it would be like Osama bin Laden showing up at our doorstep saying, can I be baptized? Or, or I got baptized, I'm a Christian now. And you'd be thinking, are we sure about this? <laughs> but it just shows that God can use anybody if they, if they repent, if they turn. So yes, Christ died for Hitler. He died for everybody. He died even for us. He also rose from the dead for us. So we have a real commander-in-chief in his kingdom, and that's Jesus Christ. So we live for him. And if we're living for him, we're going to do what he tells us to do. Not because it's a burden on us, but because it's a joy, isn't it? It's a joy to serve the Lord. There's no better work. Now We need to make sure, though, as Christians, that we're well-trained and fit for the service of the Lord. And that means one of those things I was talking about earlier, that we, we must have a knowledge that our own sins have been forgiven, 
and they've been forgiven because we've been obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me in the Bible to Romans chapter 16, chapter 6, verses 17 to 18, would you? Romans chapter 6 and starting at verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being made free, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. And this is that same Saul of Tarsus we were just talking about. This man, when people were told Saul is coming to town, the Christians were thinking, okay, maybe it's time to leave town. And yet God used Saul mightily. He became a wonderful brother in the Lord. You know, I can't wait. I, I, hope, and I hope that we all get to heaven. And I, I can't wait to get to heaven and corner Paul and ask him so many questions. You know, least of all, how do you make your tents? But there you go. He's a fascinating person. So educated. So deeply rooted in scriptures. And yet. He had missed the Messiah when he came because he was looking for the right. Yes, Brother Lawrence. So you, you're on, uh, in an area rather, where so many people are affected by, uh, I want to say, in transition to Christ. Mm -hmm. Because belief is a major component of um, not just the approach of evangelism or outreach um, but it is a major component on, in our relationship with God so mm -hmm. now we're down to what we believe mm -hmm. and that's going to motivate us to the greater end of our purpose with God because most people who are religious they believe in God you know like you were saying in the, the introduction it's mm -hmm. uh, you know all these various religions and sub-religions and all this other stuff. They all believe. You know, the devil believes. Yeah, the devil believes. He's not going to heaven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, now it's getting down to what you're going to do with those beliefs. Mm. What you're going to do with those beliefs. They're, they're going to determine what will happen with you if, uh, in your belief system. And our greatest, at least in, in my limited experience and exposure in the kingdom, is, is having folks make that transition where their belief, belief systems are valued before God and they honor God. You know, uh, you know our sub-factions like the, the Christian church and disciples of Christ and all these others who ascribe to the, uh, the fact that they think that they're Christians, but they... They're off here, and some of us yeah. don't believe that. They think that, you know, being disobedient is okay. Well, the Bible says no. No, no. <laughs> it's not okay. It's not okay to be disobedient. No, no. And you know, it breaks my heart, because I talk to people so much that are so close. They say they love the Lord, they love Jesus, they read the Bible every day a few times. They're very learned, and yet they're missing the point. And so it, it's over the smallest of issues. They, they just misinterpret. They think that 
for example, they think that baptism is a work. And some say repentance is a work. So they say, you don't even have to repent of your sins and you're saved. It's not a work. It's an act of obedience. It's very different. It's so, and they, they come so close. And you're right. They're in a state of transition. But they think they're saved, but they're not there yet. It's like if you go into the DMV and you get your, you, you get your initial license to learn how to drive. That's not the same as a full driving license. You might think it is, but that's not what the government says. And you might think that you're a Christian, but unless you're baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, so you can be. Because in the Greek it says, so you can be forgiven of your sins, then you're not forgiven. You're still in a state of sin. So there's people out there who are blissfully unaware, thinking that they're going to heaven, but they're not. And they're going to stand before the Lord one day and he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. And to me, those are horrifying words. And you know, when I read those words, they spurred me on to read more of the Bible. Read more, dig deeper, make sure I'm right. Because I don't want to live a life that I think is a righteous life, right living in the sight of God, only to finally get before Christ after doing all these things in his name for him to say, I don't know you. You never obeyed me. They obeyed the teachings of men or the teachings of their culture, but not, not God. And it is heartbreaking. They're, they're so close, but to say close, but no cigar. Not, not quite there. George? Yes, yes. Hello, Jim. Mm-hmm. If you drive a Ford, go to a Ford place, any shop, but they recognize it as a Ford, you may think you got a Cadillac. You all got <laughs> four wheels, you got a wheel, motor, and all that. And you take it to the shop, if you don't know what you're doing, you're going to look at the Ford book. Yeah. That's right, you better read the book. You can think which I, I love that analogy. That, um, for those that didn't hear him, Jim was talking about if you, if, you have a, if you have a Cadillac and you think you've a Ford, if you go to the place, to the Ford dealership, they're not going to be able to fix your car because you don't have a Ford. You just don't have, yes, Mill. It's great. <laughs> what did Christ say to the Christians, the true Christians that aren't saved? What did he say to them? What do you say to them? The Christ, just, you know, you're, you're a Christian, you went through baptism, and you messed up with your life, and you think yourself as a Christian, and you're going to go to heaven. But uh, there's a scripture where he, he, he says that I, I knew you not. Yeah, I, I knew you not. In tongues, we heal people, but yet they weren't saved because they weren't in the book of life. That's right. And those are true Christians. I mean, there were people who had done, they had become Christians, baptized and everything, and like done the acts and stuff like that, but yet they weren't saved because their hearts weren't right. The hearts weren't right with God, right. yeah. They didn't, they didn't have the understanding, or if they did understand that they just, they, 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 they got lost, and it is possible. Which, which is terribly sad. And that's why we must, one of those three must, there's an excellent point there, next point, um, they must realize that they've been obedient to the will of Christ. You see, there's that, you've got to be obedient to his will in all things. You can't be like, oh, I will be obedient up to this particular mark and then something else is going to come before Christ. What comes before Jesus Christ? 
Nothing. Nothing. Not a thing. Sometimes people think that, that it does, but it doesn't. Yes, but not. I'm sorry. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> um, I want to go back over here. Sure. In the text in Matthew 7, 21 and Matthew 25, which is the comparative text mm-hmm. where he's at, uh, is, it's very interesting that that concept where uh, Christ is dealing with people who are believers. Because mm-hmm. we know that the, the, the scriptures was written for those who believe. Um, and so here we are, like you were saying, and of course he's saying that people have lived their whole lives thinking that they're right before God, only to face them in judgment and God mm-hmm. tell them, no, no, you've missed the mark. And it seemed like, it seemed like that they were doing a, a worthy work. Like I heard, had a person ask me once, um, there was a Catholic said, well, Mother Teresa, you know, she did this, she did that. She, there's no way Mother Teresa going to hell. And, and, and uh, you know, we have to, of course, how we respond to that is very important. Yeah. And I told him, well, I'm, I'm certainly not God, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to put people in heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. But the scriptures says explicitly that people who do not obey God will end up in hell. Mm-hmm. And then the thing on, like, well, what did she do that was so wrong? And this and how come what makes you so right? And, and we get down to the, the reality of is that we can do a lot of things on our own that are not God inspired that are not directed of God. Mm-hmm. That's that's where, as a body of believers, worldwide over, as people of God, where we 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 be mindful, as you're saying, the will of God. What is the will of God when we we're doing things? You know, um, and, and the liberal attitudes of some people in the, in the church, and then there's only the other extreme where people are ultra conservative. Mm-hmm. But the balance is is finding what God wants us to do to the best of our ability and execute it to the, the best of our abilities to honor him. That's right. You know, the people that, that you know, say, well, Mother Teresa did all these wonderful things, they're basically saying you can earn your salvation. Yeah. Exactly. And the Bible very explicitly says you cannot earn your salvation by works of merit. Right. You know, that doesn't exclude works of obedience. Right. It's works of merit. Right. That's right. That's right. George. Yeah. Go over to Matthew seven twenty one, and it very plainly says there that many will say on that day, "Didn't we not do this? Did we not do that?" And uh, he he's going to say, "No, uh, I never did." Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That's right. Mm-hmm. And you progress right on up to where you can put words together, then you can put thoughts together, then you, you just keep on graduating. Well, uh, teaching the Bible is, works in the same fashion. There's many out there that know very, very little about what the Bible is and what it's all about, other than, hey, I know there is a God, you know, and there's a church, and uh, there's a Bible, but. Uh, when you get right down to the point of salvation, uh, how do I obtain salvation? Well, if you go into your Bible deep enough, you know, it will tell you it's the Lord's way, not 
somebody else's word. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head. this thing out to us very plainly. Mm-hmm. And we've got the world full of so-called Christians. But yet, yeah, how many of them are, you know, in line with what the scripture actually says about yeah. if you want to inherit eternal life, you're going to have to believe in me. You're going to have to obey me. You're going to have to do this. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of times it just doesn't work out in the world like we would like it. We would like for it to be uh, a big old bowl of ice cream on the table. Right? <laughs> but it's, no. it's just not that. No, no, no. It's arsenic, isn't it? I know, I know, but see, well, what, what Mac, for those who didn't hear him, he was talking about how we need that faith as a learning process. But and this many, at yeah. the same time, when we're preaching Christ, uh, we have to be very careful as to how we deliver this message <laughs> to those that's listening, because they're not on the same level, spiritually-wise, as maybe we are. True. And we're... Chances are, we may say something, you know, that's going to say, hey, I don't want none of that. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to, you know, do something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And many people don't, don't even realize that they're doing it. And, of course, one of the things which many people have done when they've learned the Bible on their own or through a denomination is that they have learned something that they need to unlearn. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we've been given a commission, you know, you know to preach it. And mm-hmm. I said, yes, Mel. Um, in a situation like Mother Teresa and all that, um, when you sit down with Catholic people, Baptist people, Presbyterian people, mm-hmm. they have grown through that church and they've learned that. Mm-hmm. And their parents have died. In a situation when you're talking about the Bible, when the Christians say, oh, you mean my parents aren't saved? And the, with a situation like that, I say, um, what does the scripture say? I said, they're responsible for their sins, and they're, they're responsible for that. You're responsible for yours. But just because they made mistakes in, in believing doesn't mean you have to. That's true. Yes, sir. Yeah, same here. Yeah. That's a hard pill to swallow. Well, yeah. But John, it, is, it is hard, and, uh, and if you're not careful when you run into that situation, you can alienate that person for life. You can, very quickly. But, That's not a good idea. Again, as with all things, you take them to the Scripture, and specifically the story, not the parable, but the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And you see the rich man in torment, and he begged to have Lazarus go back to teach his brother so they wouldn't end up there as well. Your family would be begging for you to learn the truth and not end up there. See, that's what the Bible will teach you, is that you, you, they would want you to escape that instead of be there with them. Well, I know I'm doing a whole lot better since he dumped me in that pool back there. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're good. I don't need to do it again, but I do enjoy it. <laughs> yes, James. <laughs> Bible 
Yeah, the only Bible. Some, yeah, that's right. Sometimes the only Bible they're going to see is us. And I mean, what's plainly, script, plainly right there in Scripture is we can see there are people who will have lived their whole lives in the church and they'll stand before Christ in that day and they won't go to heaven. So the only way you can really answer that is, is that all we know for sure, according to the Bible, is that we're in the hands of a just and loving God. Rather, if we're in the church, outside the church, because who judges who goes to heaven or hell? God does. He does. And it doesn't do any help to shout at people that they're going to hell. That's not going to win any souls, I guarantee you. Yes, James? <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Too many people don't read the Bible for themselves. They listen to the preacher. And as a preacher, I'm going to tell you, do not do that. We're fallible and we make mistakes. You know, so please do not do that. Or you'll end up going to Guyana and drinking funny joy juice and things like that. Yes, John? <laughs> well, another thing is, is that we should stress that when you study the Bible, how you study it, is very important as well. Yes. Most people study it to prove what they already believe <laughs> rather than humbling themselves and submitting themselves to what God actually said. That is absolutely 100% correct. Far too many do that. And I think Tim is either asking a question or trying to buy something. Yeah. you got to be careful. You just got to be. Sandy is waving at the back. Hello. There we go. This is a lively one. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Exactly. If you had learned something your parents hadn't, he hadn't learned additional, wouldn't, you want, wouldn't they want you to accept that? And the answer, of course, would be yes. Absolutely. <coughs> so, what's that? What's, oh, hello. Hey, Milt. <laughs> I, worked, I worked at Walmart for seven years, and I presented myself as a Christian. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't flirt with the girls. I didn't cuss. I didn't do the bad jokes and stuff like that. The thing about it is, is I was living an example. I was trying to live as an example. And uh, when I did mess up with somebody, I always went to them and told them I was sorry. Excellent. If that wasn't right, I, you know, that should not happen. I mean, even the little things, I'd always go to them and tell them that, you know, I was wrong. Mm -hmm. And the thing about this is when you live as an example, live as a Christian and portray yourself as a and when you're wrong, admit it to the people. You're not perfect. I mean, I didn't go around making people think I was perfect. Mm -hmm. I was just, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm saved. You yeah. know, but I do make mistakes. And when yeah. I make mistakes, I have to correct the mistakes I make. Yeah, you're right. And that, that's so important.
And it's so important to live as a Christian and to remember that, you know, in, in, in many ways, you're an ambassador for Christ and his church in, in this world. Because I, I, I became painfully aware very soon after I got to America that whether I liked it or not, I was an ambassador for Ireland. Because everywhere I went, people wanted to talk to me about Ireland. That's fine. It's great. And I'm not going to lose my accent. My wife would murder me, but I'd also lose the tool. Because the moment I open my mouth and start talking to people, they say, hello, what are you doing here? What do you do? And you're in. You've, got, you've broken the ice. It really does help. Um, so you really are an ambassador. So if you say that you're a Christian, you go to church every service, and yet you're going into work and you're, you're, you're swearing and you're knocking back beer and you're smoking marijuana and you're telling dirty jokes and you're chasing everything with a, with a heartbeat, what does that tell them? You know, it, it, that's a very bad example. So you've got to compose yourself. got to remember you're in Christ as a Christian. If you're in Christ... What, you, what you're doing is reflecting upon him, and it reflects on the Lord's church too. So if they see that you're kind and loving, that you're not trying to beat them up, that kind of thing, that makes a big difference. It does. And I, like, I, I know I've said it so many times, it's probably driving some people crazy, but they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Because when they know how much you care, then they know you care for their souls, and you're not doing it to try and get some points to get into heaven because as Christians we're saved by the blood of the lamb we don't work to gain points of worthiness to get into heaven we, we work for the Lord we serve the Lord with joy because we love him and we know what a difference it makes in our lives to be a Christian it really does and we know we mess up we're not perfect but we can go back to the Lord and receive forgiveness for our sins now, the big difference between someone who's a Christian and someone who's not is that a Christian knows what a sin is. We know what the mistake is when we make it again. We're not perfect. And, you know, only God is perfect. But we at least need to try. You know, at least, at least we need to try to, to, to live the life. And when we love the Lord and we're fanatical about him, you know, we're his followers, why wouldn't we want to? to be different to other people, that people would recognize us instantly. I was, um, I was working one place, actually it was a, a college course, and one of the girls there, she said, George, why, why, don't you, why don't you say the F word? It's only a word. Why don't you say the F word? And this was in Ireland. So, yeah, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. And I said, because I don't like it, I don't think it's the right thing to say. Um, I have a respect for the people around me. I have respect for myself. I don't want that word coming out of my mouth. And as a Christian, it's quite easy. I respect my Lord. Would I say that in front of my Lord Jesus, those words? It does make a difference. Make no mistake about it. And yes, Mike. Yes, and what, what, um, 
what confidence would the customer have in, in the mechanic if he's cursing and swearing when he's not getting it right? I mean, if you're under the knife of a doctor, would you feel happy if he started swearing? <laughs> oh, I, dro I dropped the scissors, I dropped the wrench. Oh, not good. Yeah, oh, Mike, I get there. Mm-hmm. If you mess up, don't say anything about it. Well, <laughs> as a preacher, I don't have that option, nor should I. That's when you stop and go, oh, wait, no. You go back and you make it right. That, 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 that's what you do. Mac, I didn't forget you, I promise. I didn't forget you. Uh, the girl Mac. wants to ask me, you know, why don't you say that word? Mm. I said, why should I say that? Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly where this word goes. That's right. That is right. And that's that's just, yes, John. Uh, referring back to your point that you've made several times about people accusing you of wanting to earn points to mm -hmm. get into heaven, mm -hmm. I always brings me to mind of the parable that Jesus taught about the man that owned the vineyard that hired people throughout the day, and the people at the end of the day that only worked an hour mm -hmm. received the same pay as the ones that worked all the day long. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what heaven is, is that we will receive the reward if we're faithful, regardless of how long we've been faithful, mm -hmm. regardless of whether we've been from the moment we first understood the gospel and obeyed it till, uh, you know, till we live 100 years and, and service of God, or if we obey in the last days before we die, mm -hmm. we'll both all receive the same reward, which is promise. That's absolutely right. It makes a big difference too, doesn't it? And I just, I just wish more people would, would realize how important that that is. We're not trying, oh, yes, Milt. Um, a situation, um, I was uh, in a family and a, uh, the father was not a Christian. All the, all the family was Christian except for the father. But he rode back and forth to work with a gentleman his name was Lester Starling. He's kin to the ones back here. And uh, I think, but uh, Lester Starling couldn't see, so he couldn't drive. So uh, Billy picked him up and took him to work and came back. And over the years, he taught Billy. And Billy came down with, with uh, cancer. Mm. And the first thing he wanted to do was to be baptized because he knew he was going to die. And he wanted Lester Stalling to baptize him. Mm -hmm. And they took him downstairs and baptized him in a pool because he couldn't walk and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They put him on a, on a hoist and dropped him down into to be baptized. And that, that you know, he taught him and taught him and taught him and lived the example of a Christian. So Lester Stalling was able to convert him because he knew that he was wrong. His, his wife was a member of the church, his daughter was a member of the church. Everybody in his family was a member of the church but him. But Lester Starling converted him over the years. It took mm. time, but mm -hmm. he did convert him. Yeah, sometimes it takes a, a lot of talking, a lot of, a, a, a lot of conversations, a lot of Bible study, and sometimes it's like, I know, let's do it. Let's go for it. A lot of it's yeah. an example of what you do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what's right, but you, you know, but you don't do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, and that really does, that makes a huge difference. And what's the time? We're nearly there. Well, it's been a very good conversation this morning. Great Bible study. Thank you. And you know, I, I want to close it with a quote that um, we hope and we want everyone to go to heaven. We certainly do. But I think, as, as one man quoted, he said that when we get there, and please God, we'll get there, we're going to be surprised at who is there. And we're also going to be surprised at who is not there. So we need to keep on going. So are we saved and we're baptized? Yes. But do we need to keep swimming? Yes, keep swimming. Because you haven't gotten to the island yet.